My name is Rachel White, and people call me the Skeptical Shaman. They say it like it's a contradiction, but it's not. For more than a decade, I've been researching and building tools for the spiritually homeless. You know, the curious but critical thinking people that, like me, have had a tough time navigating a landscape of gurus and grifters and crystal heavy people, searching for a way to fill what Neil Gaiman called that God-shaped hole, all while, of course, not getting taken. As the host of the Skeptical Shaman podcast, I want to help us all develop a map of this confusing terrain. I'm going to talk to everybody, the curious, the skeptical, the cynical, and yes, even the true believers. Together, we can safely explore the world of Wu and get closer to some meaningful existential truths. This is The Skeptical Shaman. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Skeptical Shaman. I am your host, the cold, virus, migraine, whatever it is, suffering um, host of your show, Rachel White. I am the owner of Totem Readings and I'm joined today by Angela Gore, one of my absolute favorite people because I get to interact with people in a, a bit of a different way. So it's always fun for me. There's a few whose energy bodies stick out. Angela is one of them. That was a true afternoon of psychedelia. Thank you, Angela. Angela is an archaeologist. And as we head into the spooky time of the year, as I like to call it, my favorite time of the year, I like to think about, talk about the dead, what's under the earth, what stories and mysteries are in the bones. And and to that end, Angela, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your background and what you do? Coolest job ever. Yeah, yeah, it's been a fun ride. Hey, y'all. Um, like Rachel said, my name is Angela. Um, I have a, I'm an archaeologist. Um, and for those of you who may not, who may not know what that is, um, an archaeologist is a person who studies um, human culture and humans through material remains. And for me as an archaeologist, that means that most of that stuff um, is the things that are left behind by humans that get buried in the ground. Um, so it's a little, so archaeology, this is another misconception that I'm going to clear up while I'm here. But don't feel bad if you thought this, guys. Um, so archaeology is a little bit different than paleontology. Archaeologists do humans. Paleontologists do dinosaurs. Don't feel bad if you didn't know that. I have a favorite dinosaur. Dinosaurs are red. Fucking love fossils. Real That's quick, so- what's your favorite dinosaur? Um, my favorite dinosaur is... Um, oh my gosh. You totally put me on the spot. And, oh, I did. The, the oldest... Um, it's the oldest dinosaur that we know of. It's a huge bird. What is it called? It's maybe... Oh my gosh, the name is the name is slipping. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I can see the image because there was a story on CNN, something like that. See, I was going to give a lame sauce answer because as a child, my favorite was Stegosaurus. Yeah, and I don't know why he's not that cool, but he had like broken kitchen tiles all along his back, and for some reason, that was really awe inspiring in me. Yeah, they have armor. Oh, man. Yeah, they're so cool. We doubted that they had feathers on them. Science is... Okay. Duh. Anyway, I'm like, no, yeah. I digress talking about dinosaurs. Um, anyway, um, but broadly, so like archaeology um, is... Um, it, it lies under the umbrella of anthropology, which is the broad study of humans and human culture or like what makes us human. So archaeologists, we deal with the dead stuff. 
Um, if there's other people that study other aspects, you know, cultural anthropologists who study living humans, there's linguists yeah. who study human language, and then there's bioanthropologists who study human bones and our human ancestors. Um, and a lot of those things intersect, right? There's a lot of um, overlap in, in all of those Venn diagrams. So um, I was trained as um, a, a, a four field, we call it anthropologist. So I had, I dabbled a little bit in all of those um, areas of science, but I specialize in archaeology and I have my PhD um, in anthropology. Um, I studied, uh, for my dissertation, I studied um, how humans in Alaska adapted to climate change um, for around 14,000 years ago through well, around like four or 5,000 years ago. There were some pretty big environmental shifts up north during that time. And I was interested in learning how people um, you know, moved around on the landscape differently and how they used their stone tools differently and how they adapted. I'm assuming they gave up, uh, you know, fuel engine cars. As a primary, <laughs> just kidding. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I can't, I, you just blew my mind. Like I knew, cause you and I had talked about this before that archeology span was underneath the umbrella of anthropology, but the fact that archeologists, which I consider archeology span a hard science, it may mm. not be medicine, but to me it's a hard science, right? Like many of the others, like biochemical engineering, et cetera, that yeah. you guys are in the same clade of species as postmodernists fills me with rage a little bit. And I think it's time that I'm going to propose a division where people that talk about like postmodernist Foucault type nonsense where nothing means anything. They're a very different thing from your people where things mean things. And that's why they're cool. Like words actually mean things. And that's why they're useful. And that enables us to do this incredible research. Right. Okay. And it makes, I just want to like affirm you, it makes a lot of archaeologists big mad i'm sure um, yeah but there are postmodern archaeologists out there like oh i know i've been reading about it yeah that now i'm not even going to say that stuff because that'll light the internet up but basically things may not mean things anymore and everything's very loose and the the fabric of reality is is tenuous at best shall we say um so in terms of archaeology and you know we're here in october you and i were talking before we started recording it's the first day in austin where it was cloudy it was in the low 60s the leaves are changing here people may not realize texas and arkansas where you live has seasons um i recommend season three of true detective for anyone who wants to learn about the natural splendor of arkansas in the fall and winter it's beautiful the way they filmed it but it gets you thinking about not just ghosts, because, you know, I, I do mediumship work and I don't think of the spirits that come through as ghosts. To me, it's maybe not a hard pejorative, but it always feels a little like, uh, I don't know. I don't think of them as ghosts, like they're not haunting me. It's not that cliche, but maybe ancestors, you know, those who came before, things that literally in shamanism in our little construct live in what we call the lower world or the underworld. Right. And this is the time of year where we, you know, decorate our homes, our yards with skeletons, the remains, images of human remains and things like that. So as we're heading in and you doing the work you do, I mean, do you feel close to the dead in your work? How has that impacted you being around so many dead things and their artifacts? Oh, man. Um, I would say, yeah, I would say 
yes, there's no way it cannot affect me because I'm always thinking about the past in that way. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's it's a that's a hard question. It's kind of a hard question to answer because, you know, like what has the things that have passed with a capital P, um, you know, all all that can be remembered the things that you can reconstruct from finding pieces um, of stories, you know, in, in the work that we do, it's all, you know, it's also Im imbued with what has left us, you know, um, I, I, you know, and, and I don't mean to be super reductive and say that there's not people that carry that knowledge today because certainly there is, you know, like cer certainly there is. And it's not that knowledge is like not all gone, but you know, the, the people, oftentimes the people that made the things that I deal with, those people are not here anymore. You know, their mm -hmm. ancestors, or, I mean, their descendants may be, and or in my case with the area where I work, they definitely are there. Um, yeah. But it's something that I can't, I can't really separate from my work um, because in some way, even though it might be the driest, most uninteresting story that I can tell, um, depending on, um, on if I'm writing a scientific article or if I'm teaching um, a class full of undergraduates, it might be a little bit more exciting and full of some topical memes. But you yeah. know, even if my uh, even if the story I'm creating about the things that I'm finding is really dry and full of statistics and p values and uh, geo you know geochemical information, it's still a story. Um, yeah. Like that's what archaeologists do. We you know we build stories. Like we tell stories. It's in a very different way, and we argue a lot with each other and with other people about yeah. whether the stories we're telling is our right. Um, or, or if they're nuanced enough, or if they're including the right elements, but it's, it, yeah. but it's a part of, it's a part of story. So for, but so and that's kind of what mediums yeah. do, by the way, is they, they speak for the dead. They may say the, the words the dead are saying. And what's interesting is I think our culture, like modern Western Civ, but primarily America, like modern American culture there's no regard for what's come before. And because of that, I think we have a lot of amnesia and we also feel dread and hubris. We don't need to feel like two sides of one coin of like, I think a lot of Americans contemporary contemporaries of ours think everything they're going through is new. It's novel. No one's ever been there before. No one's ever suffered like that. No one's ever done it out. No one's ever discovered X, Y, or Z. And one of the things you'll find about shamanic cultures, and I think maybe you, an archaeologist, is by interacting with the dead or going back to older traditions, older peoples, understanding they existed, you go, oh, nothing's that new. I'm not that special. I'm not the first person to ever suffer. And it really gives you this different macro level perspective where you're less neurotic. Like in Japan, Shinto is their sort of imperial religion there. Huge on ancestor worship and i don't mean worship they understand the difference between dead grandma and grandpa and god it's not it's very nuanced but um they have a day of the dead it's at a different time of the year than ours and they prepare meals for their loved ones they bring out their photographs they set a place at the table for them to eat and they hike up this big mountain 
with these candles to go speak to the ancestors and, and bring them back to life so they can enjoy the evening with their children. The fact that everyone goes out of their way for that, it's not like what it does for the dead. I think the living forget what that does for the living individually and culturally. It's one of the reasons I think we're sick. Man, that's um, that's so interesting that you that like you bring this up because it's something that I've been thinking about, you know, as I knew that we were like this was coming up and that we were going to talk and, um, you know, like just this week. So I told you earlier that, you know, I'm going through like moving. And so, you know, mm-hmm. like y'all, everyone who knows, you know, who's sold a house and bought a house knows that there's all this like appraisal, you know inspection stuff you got to deal with um so this week i had an, an appraiser come he didn't know i was going to be here but he you know came in with looking to the house and um found out i was an archaeologist and he got he got so excited um and and this and i see this happen a lot like when people find out you know that my husband is an archaeologist too when um you know we go places and people find out we're archaeologists their whole like it's like their being lights up right they're like and they always have a story to tell about how they used to go um, arrowhead hunting with their grandpa um, uh, on the land where their like family has lived, you know, since time in memoriam, or they um, were, they went on like a, a vacation somewhere and they got to go visit um, ruin, like temple ruins and how impactful it was, you know, to their life or um, how they got really into I don't know, the history of whatever they got interested in and it like led them on this journey to like find out more about their ancestry. Like it it strikes a chord that's so resonant in people. Um, And I think, I really think that what they're tapping into is that, um, that part of us as human that need experience remembering in community. Because it's something that we don't, that you're totally right, you know, in especially in, in North America, um, in our country, like our, yeah, we're a country founded by, you know, Puritan prudes, man, you know, like a lot of those traditions yeah. that might have been in our, you know, or that, I mean, that definitely were in all of our ancestral lines at some point, way, way, way far back in time. Were oh, I'm, I'm straight up related to someone who has owned the Mayflower. His last name's White, different spelling with a Y, yeah. T-E, but yeah, it's it's real. And, you know, the other piece of it, too, is like our culture is uncomfortable with death, full stop and dying. So, you okay. know, it's not just that we've forgotten the dead, like even the dead that we knew as children. I found that like when I was younger, people talked more about their grandparents or their whatever. Right. And it wasn't because they were like still on the boat in, in an immigration mindset. It was it was different. It was like talking about family. But the other big piece of it is we don't even like watching someone die. We put them away. We send them to facilities. And a lot of that is, number one, because they do need extra care and things like that. But our society doesn't allow us as adult humans to take care of someone and work the way we need to work to survive. So they go away to these places where we don't see them all that often. We don't, you know, we don't see death. And then when people die... And maybe you could talk about, too, the burial rituals of different cultures and different mm-hmm. times. But we we make their body such that it doesn't rot. We look at it. We put it in an expensive box so it doesn't rot, so it doesn't go back to the earth, the embalming process, all of it. it everything about it is a denial of death, 
and the fact that it's inevitable for all of us. And, you know, you as someone who digs up remains and has to look at that inevitability and reality. I mean, it's, it's, you must see the dichotomy. Oh, definitely. You know, I remember, um, I definitely do. And, you know, I remember, I remember when I was an undergraduate, and um, I took an English class. The person who, who taught my English class was, um, she specialized in um, Victor- in Victorian literature, in feminism, in Victorian literature. Yeah. And one day we were talking about, you know, whatever book we were reading. And she was like, you know, it's really interesting in today's, you know, in our society today, death is nowhere. We're afraid of death. We don't want to see death. Death is, you know, the other. It's, it's forbidden. Um but, you know, in Victorian times, it was kind of everywhere. Sex was nowhere. You know, now sex is everywhere. Sex is like, um, it's selling. It's it's yeah. um, in our faces all the time. But where is death? And it was such an, it, that was one of the first times where I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, my mind, <laughs> my brain exploded. And I was like, well, she's so right. Because, you know, now we like look at those yeah. um, at Victorian um you know, like photos of death and we're, and it's so bizarre and it's so like deeply disturbing to a lot of us. Um, And she, she was so right, you know, like it is, you know, it is something that we like for lack of a better term, bury. Um, Yeah, totally. It still exists by the way though, because I think it's where it's finding its home is this ghoulish. And I, I suffer from this, I'll admit it, but I'm also very integrated with death. Death and I are good friends. I can't wait to go. It sounds very relaxing. I love talking to dead people. Dead people are my favorite people to talk to, okay? Because they don't have any issues. They don't have the issues of the living. But I uh, I think it's in the ghoulish uh, fascination with true crime and serial killers. And, and so it is, and in, in even maybe some of this cult stuff of which I am also interested our society does, it, it's in us individually and collectively. And so when we don't look at it maybe properly, it'll find its home in some of the more insidious, dark corners. And, you know, the other piece of this all is like Halloween this time of the year. Like I said the word cremains the other day, in a sense, because yeah. I was talking about there's a new documentary about making a murderer that shows that those documentary filmmakers uh, like literally change testimony and stuff. And there's a reason they were convicted. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's really well made. And the, there's cremains in the story. There's these burn barrels, right? And cremains yeah. for anyone listening, there remains that were cremated or burned. And they found the victim's phone in there and her bones and ash and all this wild shit. And I said, cremains and their eyes lit up and they're like, Ooh, cremains. And I'm like, yeah, we're like, we all have a little bit of that sick thing in us where we're like skeletons and witches and the dead. And, you know, I think in Japan and some other cultures, it's way more integrated. And you've you've studied, is it primarily like native populations of this continent in history yes, and yes. history? And, yeah. And they didn't deny that they were very integrated with death. Death was like the the fraternal twin of life. Right. So what have you maybe found? In, in your digs, in your research, archaeologically or anthropologically, about how some of the groups you studied, how they handled death, how they viewed death? So we know, so in the area where I work, um, it is, it's really hard to find um, 
to find very many examples of preserved human remains that are very old. We have a couple. We have a, you know, we have like very few. Because they didn't do what Egypt did. They didn't, you know, mummify. No, no, no. Yeah. You know, the couple example, the couple examples that I'm thinking of, those people cremated their dead. Um, But it looks like that they lived alongside their, um, their dead for at least a little while. Like typically, um, populations um, up north were highly mobile hunter-gatherers for a long time. Now, they they did come together seasonally. Um, They did, you know, have seasonal camps, you know, that were like a little bit more long-term than like your typical, oh, a couple days here, a couple days here, if I want to go get this caribou because this is when they're running over here or um, this is our time to go down to, you know, the river and catch salmon in the summer, you know. So when, there's there's flexibility. It's all on a spectrum, you know, how long people lived where. But it is interesting to me that in in the few examples we have, um, um, actually the um, the cremated um, remains were those of children, um, and they were found really they were found sort of like within um, a sort of like habitation setting. So yeah. it's, it's interesting to me that one they kept they them close. They didn't. Yeah, they kept them close. They did not, from, and again, like big asterisk here, we might find, we might find in the future, uh, like sort of, you know, paleo cemetery. But in this instance I'm talking about, we don't. They, um, you know, they kept them there. They weren't, they weren't afraid of them. It wasn't something to fear. You know, they put them, you know, they integrated them with natural elements, with fire. And then they put them in, you know, they put them in the ground. Um, next to them, you know, presumably to remember they interred them with stone tools and with bone, um, artifacts that were, um, that were, were spearheads. Um, and it's, you know, it's something that that's so, it's just so different from, from what we do now, which is to keep it so separate, to keep it locked away from us and, and we don't integrate our dead with the natural elements. Most of us don't. Some of us do. Some of us do cremate our dead and we put them in places where they loved so that they yeah. can be with the elements in that way. So, I mean, it's it's something that, that sometimes still happens. But by and large, our cultural practice is to keep them away because we don't want to look. We don't want to, um, you know, have them near us. It, it might be maybe it's too painful. Maybe that's one reason. Maybe we... Maybe that's the reason we tell ourselves that, and maybe I'm no psychologist, yeah. but maybe it's we don't want to look in the face of death and consider what that means to us. You know, I think it's existential and grief and a little bit of disgust response. To use a Jungian Freudian term, yeah. like the disgust reaction to the dead is is palpable, right? I part of that is evolutionarily, like. Yeah. They carry disease. You can get sick from large piles of dead and drinking standing water. Like, I think some of that's in our brainstem. But, you know, what's interesting about everything you're saying, well, two things. One is I forgot the name of the country where this happens. but It's in Southeast Asia. You might know the population where they bury their dead under their own yard and they take them out several for like celebrations with the body. Have you seen this? No, but that is it's, so rad. It's not Bali, but it, or it might be Bali. It's something in that corner of the world where they, let, let me look it up. Sorry. Sorry, listeners. I will look this up. 
it's it's a modern thing and it's like freaking westerners out asia me dig up yeah it's indonesian tradition of digging up dead relatives for a spirited afterlife ritual men carefully remove a coffin from an intricately carved burial chamber cut into a massive boulder in the village of pangala so this is a within Indonesia in the South Sulawesi province. Pardon my mm-hmm. terrible pronunciation. Yeah, an Indonesian tradition of digging up dead relatives for a party is the headline of the story right underneath it. So <laughs> they they um, sort of mummify them. I don't know what the exact process is, but they are like pure jerky at that point. They're not gross and whatever. And they don't do it every year. But there's like a after several years, you dig up grandma and everybody and they put them on motorbikes and drive them around and like make them wave. It's, it's it's even to me and I'm as goth deep down as they come. I'm like, look, like I have a little thing where I'm like, put grandma back. Grandma doesn't want to be on the motorcycle. There's just something. So maybe that's the American in me coming out, but there's, there's that culture that does that. And what's weird is when you, I, cause I of course went very deep on this. I was like, I have to know everything about this. And they have almost no violence in their culture like their their crime statistics are completely different from our ours, and it's not because of gun laws or da da da. Like, it really is a cultural thing there where they're like, no grandma, grandpa, mom, uncle, whoever. Like they're all here, and it keeps them in a different state of like how they're being observed by spirit, how they want to be treated after they die. Like their memory, they don't want to. And it's this weird social construct that keeps everybody in harmony. Wow, that is so interesting. It's really unsettling to uh, Westerners who are not expecting it that are traveling there. And that's how it came up on my radar was someone was like, hey, was on vacation and got to see this. (laughs) I don't know, Rachel, would you? I think, okay, personally, I I would have no problem if my descendants, if I had, if I had any wanted to like bring me back for like a weekend at Bernie's like yeah how would you feel about that you know I don't know I don't know because then it gets into weird other stuff where I'm a little OCD because like in uh in Kabbalah and in Hebrew cultures there's a whole thing about needing to handle the body a certain way in your energy and Chinese culture handling there's almost this um spiritual energetic potential of death contagion in those cultures where like you put the body in the ground immediately and whatever clothes you wore to that, you don't wear into your house. Like, and that's less about the dead or disgust response and more about spirit stuff, like the breath of the bones needing to leave the body. That's where all that cool vampire lore comes yeah. from is there are other soul parts left except the one that animates the zombie stuff. So I don't know, man, you know, I joke with my husband all the time that if I die before him, I want to be taxidermied and kept in the house to like, remind him that i'm watching with the dog too and he's like what is wrong with you and i'm like with like a scowl and i want to be in like an adidas tracksuit or something like really funny he doesn't think it's funny at all but i do i i he and i though seriously have both agreed we want to be cremated i don't want to be around i don't want to be in a box i just burn it up man it's enough yeah put me put me I don't know. Put me somewhere where I can feed some other living organism in a way. Trees and yeah, Yeah, totally. And you know, I have a friend, Britt, who is looking into starting a water cremation business in California. Are you familiar with this? 
where they use solutions to, quote, burn the flesh away, but the family gets the water that they use on farms. They found farms that, because it's high in nitrogen and all this stuff that's good for plants, and the family gets a beautiful set of clean bones, which is badass. Yes, it's so cool, and I love And it's good for the environment. Yeah, I love that more, like, okay, listen, because uh, I I don't know if you've, like, condolences to anybody who's buried someone very recently it is so stressful yeah. it's so expensive coffins they're like a million dollars and it's so- a weird thing that there's an industry and they try and upsell you i remember being really offended not too long ago being like well, are you putting this squeeze on me this isn't a car yes but it yeah kind of like they sell it to you like like it's a car and it's you know like and you get put you get put in a box. No one really comes to see you that often, you know. Right. Like it seems like like kind of a scam. Why would I take up you know? Why would I take up a real estate that I don't need? I'm dead. What the fuck do I care? Why when you're putting I, you know, all those chemicals into the earth, right? You yeah. know, like so. I'm so into like this new. I guess I, I don't know what you call it. Sus- sustainable natural death and burial practices. <laughs> I'm so into keeping up with it. There's so many like activists that are working right now to get laws changed because this is something I had no idea. This is something that oh, like yeah. some of these practices handling a dead body people. comes with all kinds of criminal code violations. Yeah. And like from, you know, in my line of work, I can understand interment law because those are necessary and needed, right? Like we need those to keep people from looting from being people. grave robbers. Yes. Yeah. So like, yeah. like now, I don't want anybody listening to misunderstand that I'm like pro looting and pro unearthing the dead. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like, um, I'm I'm very interested in people working to change the law to allow people to be interred the way they want to be, like as a yeah. tree. Um, as which that's so cool. I think that's happening out in California now. You can be yeah. turned into a tree. They like make a little pod that you know, like they put. Um, high nitrogen you know soil in there with you and they plant you and it's like so awesome and beautiful and I love it so much I, I just love the idea of being integrated with like the elements and instead of you know putting my family into $15,000 worth of burial debt and- well and this is the part of the um the sickness or the malaise in our culture that I'm observing. So the fear of death, the denial of death, the ignoring of the dying and the dead, and there's no history that came before us. Everything's new, brand new. We're inventing everything is also this idea of like, God, how do I, I I don't want to be offensive. It, I can, I can feel what's bubbling up. Right. So I'll, I'll sit with this a minute, Angela, but it's, um, this refusal to put your own energy back into the earth, <laughs> like this God complex, maybe that's the way to put it. And also this anxiety that feeds all these things, like I got to get the best casket, da 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 because there's this intense lack of spiritual connection or belief in the afterlife. Like if, if grandma's gone, grandma's gone. Like if you believe in spirit, and then when someone dies, their consciousness still exists, but it's no longer in that body. The body is what the body's not the thing anymore to fixate on. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't know if I'm being very clear, but it's like we hang on to that. We focus on that. And I think it's a sign that we of like the loss of belief 
and I'm no fan of organized religion, but what I'm observing happening as organized religion dissipates is equally malignant, if not worse, things are taking its place. Like this scientism, this transhumanism, like we are the gods, we never have to die. It, when we die, there's nothing. So let's upload our consciousness to a machine. Like it's it's wild what's going on. And and it looks, it quacks and walks and swims like a duck, meaning it, it looks like religion. It sounds like religion, but they're insisting that it's the opposite of religion and they're the edified, intelligent people. I find this phenomenon really interesting. Yeah, it is really, it is really interesting. And it's something that, um, like, as a scientist who values science a lot. <laughs> very know, different from scientism. Very different. I'm not. Yes. I'm, yeah, very different. Um, but it's so bananas to me. And this is a hard sentiment. This is a really hard sentiment to express without trying to make it seem like I'm undermining science because I absolutely am not. Um, but it's it's hard to see people treat science like a religion, like at this, you know, as if in this point in time, we have yeah. reached the zenith of all that we will ever know, all that can yeah. be knowable, um, which is not, this, this is not how science works. Science will always build, it, it will always build, we will always be finding out things that we didn't know before or that sort of change what we knew before yeah. or that make it more nuanced or more complex or it's it's always changing and and i really feel like um in some in some <laughs> strange corners of our society right now there's kind of this like idea that um that there's nothing else to find out or that um yeah We've, or that or you that. know for sure you don't go anywhere when you die, so you better make sure you're in a computer hard drive. Is such a wild gamble to me. Like, yeah, this is something that, uh, yeah, it's something that I've only like recently been intro introduced to, like via the internet. It's like I kind of didn't know that this was there. Um, oh yeah, but it is. Because it's something that I guess I only thought was real, like in science fiction, you know, novels or TV shows or whatever. Um, but but it's it, it is like super bananas to me that that people are talking about. This well, there was a like, mass walkout at Google many years ago over the issue of the singularity, and it got no coverage because they control Google. Like it's one of those wild things. But if you look into it. It was over the fact that they these employees who had left in mass, they were trying to raise awareness around this issue of they thought it had turned into a cult. And this idea, this transhumanist idea of uploading our consciousness and all this stuff, like Google's own employees walked out over this issue. So it's that real, right? Yeah. And to me, it just feels like a, a what is it, Methusian? bargain am i making that up malthusian faustian for want of a better term of like this very deal with the devil to get the sorcerer's stone so you don't die kind of a thing and ancient cultures the quote primitive cultures that's how we refer to many of them understood these constructs like they'd already somehow learned these lessons before and they gave us stories and archetypes and and the ancient wisdom about like you don't do this kind of a thing and to that end, I wanted to ask you, like, your contact with ancient cultures, archaeologically, anthropologically, how has it shifted your view of what these, quote, 
like primitive peoples, if that's the term that's used. Do you see them as more sophisticated than you thought? Do you think those of us alive now can learn from them with all of our great advancements and our widgets? There's something there for us to learn. Oh my God. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. They weren't so stupid, were they? (laughs) Oh my God. This is, you know, this is something that I, you know, like when I, so I taught, I taught undergraduate classes off, you know, off and on for like, I don't know what's been five, five years. I'm not, I'm not right now, but this is something that I always like felt like I had to hammer in, you know, to, to every person who took my classes was that people now, our cognitive abilities, our abilities to observe what's around us, to problem solve, to survive, to make a living in the world. We are not any smarter than, than any than any of these people who came before yeah. us for the last 60,000 years. Um, I, I constantly am like reading about things when I'm, do, you know, when I'm like doing things. So um, my like, you know, my day job is in is in the field of of uh, sort of industry archaeology. So um, if, you know, if there's government funding funneled to anything that tears up the ground, like building a bridge or replacing a pipeline or I'm um, putting an infrastructure, you know, like my job is to make sure that no cultural resources are you know, are destroyed, um, you know, that you're not asking, because uh, Rachel, people forget where they buried grandma, like, all the fucking time. Well, it's a plot of poltergeist. Remember the housing division that was built on the uh, Indian burial ground? Yes, and their, and their cultural resource consultant did a really bad job. Shitty so, job. Um, you know, like, <laughs> people, like, that you would, like, oh, well, if my, if my great grandma buried someone in our, like, family farm like whatever i would know about it well i know you probably like you might not like people just get to like pass these pieces of information along um so you know so like our job is to make sure that like you're not destroying you're not destroying someone else's like sacred thing you're not destroying a site that's really like important that we didn't know about anyway um so i have so i have like a lot of exposure like now um, to a lot of different, you know, things that like my, you know, our crews are finding like all over the U.S. and like all over different different sorts of projects. Uh, so I'm, I do archaeology every day. I'm still keeping up with, you know, like research that's coming out as best I can. And and to to land the plane, every time that I read about something that like someone found, like or someone's researching, or like um, some some new, you know find or discovery i always think oh my gosh people were so smart <laughs> which sounds like such a terrible like reductive thing no um, it's what happens when you study shamanism like even anthropologically study shamanism you're like wait a minute so- gabor mate just wrote a book about this that people knew five thousand years ago yes and people, yeah you know like people's like knowledge um you know people's knowledge of like you know, astronomy was was incredibly like complex and nuanced, and yeah. and built from observation, built from you know observation passed down through generations and people the first principles thinking, which people are not that familiar with the concept of first principles, but it's things like like we have to agree on these basic things, and then what am I observing, and almost like an, a scientific logical version of a beginner's mind like a framework for thinking 
that sounds really simple, but you get out of your mind prisons very quickly. In older cultures, in my experience, we're better at like, huh, what about that? What's that about? And, and instead of someone going, oh, well, you know, Gatorade, it's what plants crave right away. You know, the thought terminating <laughs> cliche that dominates our modern world where everything that's ever to be known is known and you're just being stupid and someone else has figured that out. So why don't you go sit down and shut up? They would pursue that. They would look into that shit. Yeah. It's really yeah. interesting. They assumed that they knew nothing about anything, kind of. Right. I mean, they they were scientists, you know, like they... Yeah. Um, it just, just because you also practice an, an animistic religion at the same time doesn't mean that they weren't scientists or that they weren't right. observers or that they didn't um, build incredible complex and nuanced knowledge about the world around them, environments and systems, you know, in, in all ways. So yeah. like I'm continuously, you know, like it reminded, you know, how, how just like incredibly intelligent humans, you know, have been since we have, you know, since we were, you know, capital H human, you know, like since our, our like cognitive, like physical um, evolution arrived at what like we are, you know, now. Um, Since those Neanderthals found mushrooms, you mean? Don't get me started. <laughs> this is so interesting. And this like could be, uh, this is something we'll like, have to have you back to talk about the stoned ape theory and the Elysian mysteries. Would you be down uh, yeah, for that? Because I'm reading about. the book right now. I just started at the mushroom and the cross. So I'm as of yet uneducated, truly, but I've got six books lined up on this topic of they think brain development, some people think brain development in humans that helped us go upright came from eating the magic mushroom. Yeah, there's like so many, you know, and I'm sure that I'm so far, like it's been a very long time since I was, you know, in coursework in school for this. And so I'm, I'm sure- Or then you're going to say it's been a long time since you did mushrooms. <laughs> I really did. I was like, oh, well, you know, holler at me. Or it could not that far. <laughs> Yes. Um, since I was in, yeah, since I was in school, like learning about, like actively learning about what evolutionary anthropologists are talking about and their yeah. different theories. And um, so like when I was, you know, when I was like taking coursework, um, that would, you know, this like stone ape, there was like one paper on it and it was like, oh, you know, this kind of like new novel, like flashy like thing well I, there's been you know like more people talking about it i guess since i was you know since i was taking well, and they've been finding yeah. ergot in everything from the ancient world all those wine vessels and ergot just so everybody knows is the uh, rye mold that from which you draw the lsd compound they you synthesize it out of ergot so they're like wait a minute everyone was tripping balls like all the time not on purpose it was just a contaminant in like everything. And you don't need a lot of acid. I've never done acid, but from what I understand, you don't need very much to go to interesting places. So it's, yeah, the ancient world, you know, I just, I love them. I love dead people. I have to tell you, we we didn't do this on purpose. And of course I got a migraine last night. So anyone listening, if I sound mentally disorganized, I am, I'm sick for, because in part I'm taking care of myself. I've been slowing down and taking like detox tea and doing fasting. And so, of course, here comes the, you know, the gross phlegm and the, the lymph issues. But last night before I, my headache really hit, we were watching Beetlejuice. 
like, do you remember Beetlejuice? It's uh, probably yeah. Tim Burton's finest movie. And 100%. the whole, it, it, I had so many weird thoughts last night watching it that I've never had before. Cause I'm watching it with my husband and I was like, you know, the plot is these two people, they're married, they own a home together, played by Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin. It, when they're very young, they die and they don't know they're dead for a while and they're in this house. And it's, it's very funny. And I said, I want to be dead with you. Like if I get stuck in purgatory, I don't want to be alone. You know, the sandworms are scary, all this stuff. And Robert's like, okay, yeah, me too. And I was like, no, but really, like it watching movies about the afterlife or the dead and what their experience is like, you realize like, oh God, I got to start putting a plan together now for like who I want to be with when I'm dead or as someone who's spontaneously heard dead people, like even outside of session, I'll never forget a relative of mine. I heard him. I didn't know he was ill at the time, ill, like in a coma, dying. I heard, holy shit, I can see you in my living room. And I like sat up and I was like, who can see me? And then I didn't hear anything else. But it was like, you could tell it was someone who was like, oh my God, like I'm non-corporeal. And they realized it, this self-awareness. And it, there's something happening when we, when we die. And does your work ever get you like in that Beetlejuice frame of mind? Like, you know, if there's an afterlife, here's what I want it to be. Or do you ever think about connecting with your ancestors even a little, even if you're not like psychic and you're not, you're obviously a scientist. I know you're not a, a weirdo like me, but like, you know what? Grandma so-and-so really liked this. So this Halloween, I'm going to put some of this out. Do you ever, does it ever bubble up because of your work? Um, absolutely. 100%. And also yeah. like, yeah, I'm a scientist, but I'm also like, I'm also woo as hell. Like I will not divorce my like, one, one woo nation <laughs> to, yeah. you know, to like uh, because I think they're incompatible in some way because I, I absolutely doubt and yeah I think about I think about my ancestors all the time and particularly in the last um like four or five years it's been a huge like really important part of my life to um to find out what what stories are back there in my lineage, um, you know, and, and, and this is something that like it, whether, whether you like it or not, it is something that spills over to every part of your life, you know, like now, fortunately, like for better or for worse, um, social media has sort of inundated everybody with, with pop psychology. There's pros mm -hmm. and cons to it. Um, one pro is that it's giving everybody language to describe things that are, that have been affecting their life. So, you know, since yeah. childhood, you know, now we know, like now talking about intergeneral, intergenerational trauma is yeah. something that epigenetics. Yeah. yeah. Epigenetics thing, like things that, that Rachel, even maybe like 10 years ago, nobody was really talking about a whole lot in, at least in, in a generally publicly accessible way. Um, yeah. And and that's something that I think is a huge, um, I guess, gift of of the interwebs, which at times, like sometimes I'm like, God, I wish we could turn it off. We all need a hard reset. Um, but uh, it, that's something that with your ancestry, like where you come from, the people that raised you immediately and further back in your lineage, like whether we like it or not, um, a lot of that impacts us. It impacts our 
you know, our bodies, our yeah. brains, our, you know, our psychology. Um, and also like it or not, like we pass that on to, you know, we don't just pass on our genes. We don't just like shape um, the young people that are around us. If we have those people in our lives or, you know, we, we shape each other, our chosen families, our genetic families, whatever you want to call it, you know, by interacting with mm-hmm. them every day and, and how we interact with people and uh, the, the wounds that we may or may not carry from generations past, as well as like the gifts, you know, the good, all the good stuff about us, you know, like the things that we inherit, um, are, are such a huge part of us. And there's, you know, to me, there's no point in trying to science that away in order not to deal with it or not to see it or not. Well, to- science caught up to shamanism. Yeah. You know, in that, when I read the first, the Hebrew, um, what is her name? It's Hebrew and it stuck out to me. It was a beautiful Hebrew name. She's an Israeli scientist. And I was drawn to her, the name and also being a woman who did the first paper on the first study on epigenetics. And I believe she won the Nobel Prize for this, the mouse experiments, and then studying populations whose ancestors had been through sustained famine, I think was sort of the focus of it. What struck me is I was like, shamans know this. Like, this is a part of our training is the trauma you inherit. And and people, you know, I hate, sorry, it was like, you know, sister wounds or womb healing and all that crazy shit you see on Instagram where I'm like, I don't want to hear about your womb. I'd rather talk about cremains. That's where I get a disgust response. It's like, I'm I'm good on that. Thanks so much. But um, it it really blew my mind. And then Gabor Mate admitting, which I think is a sign of high intelligence, that like for all of his clinical training, he's a genius, truly, and a scientist in his own right, right? Like clinical psychotherapy, that he went and did ayahuasca and that he needed to relive and release a trauma from being two years old in Nazi-occupied Budapest with his mother. And it illuminated this whole corner of his work with trauma survivors and mental health. And what it was, was he realized at two years old, he didn't know his mother was giving him to a stranger to save his life, that it was an act of love. All he saw was abandonment. Mm -hmm. And he realized it was connected to his workaholism, which is a form of flight and always needing to be valuable so that no one discards you. And then he was like, and imagine, you know, before her, what's on just that side of the family. Yeah. And I think if you can heal and release some of the traumas, the noise in the and goes quieter and you get more signal, which to your point are the good things, the good lessons learned. Like what the reason I feel like shit today and last night is because I am doing deep adrenal recovery. Like I'm in the final stage of all this shit with because I don't know if you know this, but the female body, if you're in adrenal fatigue, will convert hormones for adrenaline it'll take from your hormones and then you get all effed up in ways men don't. Right. So I'm in that last stage with hormonal health, adrenal health shit. And part of it I'm sure is not just, uh, trust me, my life's been no picnic, but I think you've got to go deeper. I think it's, it's ancestry and boy, do I have, that's a tall, tall order. I have native Americans on both sides of my family. That shit was not a smooth ride for them. No, um, Puritans, literal Puritans coming over on the Mayflower. Then you have the Irish from the potato famine. Um, and, you know, whatever you want to say about them, they were absolutely enslaved by the British for hundreds and hundreds of years.
years at a minimum, right? Like it, it was a wild time and all this other stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's all, that's all in there. And so when we do this work, you know, you got to go just like with archaeology, you know, shit keeps getting older and older. Like they keep finding things beneath things in Egypt and ancient Rome. I'm sure you saw the thing in Egypt where they went below some sarcophagus there in the Valley of the Kings. And they're like, this is older than we knew about, like full stop. We're building on. And I think our bodies and our energy bodies do that, too. There's a lot of excavating to do. Oh, man. Yeah, I totally 100 percent, you know, agree with that. And I think that I don't, I don't know. I, and I think whoever's, you know, listening right now, like and if you're if you're like called to start exploring, you know, that stuff, man, just like I I would say don't don't overcomplicate it. You know, like um, when I when I started getting interested in my own ancestry, you know, I did the whole like ancestry.com and like digging back in that way. Um, yeah. and it, which is like cool and great if you like are privileged to like have the money and to be a white person with records. Like, right. great, cool, like, that's one starting point. Well, by the but, way, a lot of Native American tribes will not contribute their genetics to 23andMe and stuff. It's an yeah. incomplete picture. No, and I could do a whole nother, I could do a whole nother rant for a whole nother 45 minutes on on that issue, like, ethical yep. genetic testing. The ethics are so problematic and squishy and, like, oh, it, there's, yes, and people generally don't know about it. Google it, y'all, if you're interested um, you'll feel you'll have complex feelings. I can promise you that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, you know, like for me, I think after a few years of like myself overcomplicating it, because this is what I tend to do. Like this is a thing <laughs> that I know about myself. Um, I I just kind of was like, you know, like it's not it's cool if you have records, but they're not necessary to do this work in yourself. Like you carry. You are the record, right? Like it is yeah. you. Like it is. It is inside of you and it can't it can't be removed. So starting with like what you're called, like what interests you, like just starting there um, is like super great. And having, you know, if you are like if you are a descendant of a minority population or you are adopted or you um, are a descendant of enslaved people, like, yeah, like you don't have, you know, you don't necessarily have access to those written records. But it's like, you don't need them. It's it's like, okay, right. like all of that information is in your body and it might take a lot of self-trust, which is very hard to learn, you know, to like start accessing it. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's not some it's the you know the other lesson I've learned is that like um it's it's like totally a journey um new insights come all the time um and it's a lot of times you know it's just about the active remembering which is perfect for the season that we're in you know this is the season for remembering and just like honoring um how you know how we came to be here, even if those stories are really complicated or they're missing yeah. pieces or they're not beautiful or perfect or the way that we want them to be. Does that make sense? That it sense. does. And also Halloween it was always my family's favorite holiday. And there was a lot of bullshit in my family around holidays. Like Thanksgiving and Christmas were misery with my immediate family, right? It's when all the crazy came out to play. 
But Halloween, for whatever reason, just felt like always a release. No one made it a thing. It wasn't a, about anything. Nobody ever got in my family anyway, like too drunk or belligerent yeah. in any other way. And it, I think it's because of the integration of the concept of the dead and their presence. It, it soothes the the human animal a little bit. Like we all need a little bit of death, I think. Not the bad yeah. kind, but just a little something to keep us in balance. Absolutely. I totally agree. It's, um, yeah. and I think people experience that and they might not fully 100% understand that that's what they're experiencing. Like, I think that yeah. people experience that, um, that remembering of death or that, you know, like remembering of the people that came before, you know, before them or their own like beloved dead or their, you know, lineage stories or their folklore. And I think, you know, that that's why they love spooky season, you know, candlelight yeah. spooky season. Um, and, you know, it really like resonates with them. And that's what they're actually experiencing. You know, it's not so much about the like um, fun of having the, you know, 18 foot low skeleton, which is like totally rad. Um, and it is. Um, have you seen the pictures of them inside people's homes? Yes. Do you know how much I love them and I want that in my life so much? I was just going to say, all you people listening that got your hands on one this year, like, rock on. Um, yeah, good I, for you. Yeah. Um, hats off to you guys. Um, well, Bradford and I, that's my husband, for you dear, dear listeners, we put skeletons for each of us out on the front porch. Like, mine has a wig that looks like my hair. His, we put a chef's jacket on his, and then we have a skeleton wolf for our dog. And it's like, this is our, this is our skeleton family. This is what we look like. And it, and we have black lights on the skeletons and stuff and people get really creeped out and it, it like makes me happy. I'm like, that's what we look like on the inside after water cremation. Shout out to Brett and water cremation. So by the way, um, I have pulled a card for us and then I'll let you give everybody your little send off and your recommendations which i also love i think it's perfect time of the year for that but our sponsor the totem tarot deck as you know we will we will fall into default on our contract and we will start getting lawyers letters if we don't do our job here the skeptical show she's a nightmare to deal with um i've never i've never had to deal with anyone like her in business before and the card i pulled it's not what i expected but it actually really makes sense this is why i love tarot is the star card titania and you wouldn't think of like a fairy goddess of the summer solstice in the middle of this conversation but the little booklet description about titania has a lot to do with how we're all stardust and the resurrection and healing epigenetic healing that comes from working at that more molecular level like you want to talk about going back it's going it's something quant at a quantum level deeper than nostalgia but it's there and that's where the healing is. And that's why this is a card that reminds people there are moments where alternative healing modalities might work for them. And, you know, by the way, there's times when Western medicine and, and traditional healing modalities, like I had sinus surgery several years ago. Thank God. I don't know that anyone could Reiki my septum straight. You know what I mean? Like there's a time and a place for everything. Thank God we have both. And it also reminds me of, we have all these wonderful advancements but the thing that, for whatever reason, humans have a hard time chewing gum and walking at the same time. And we throw out everything that came before, like it, like this new thing voids everything. And, you know, I love antibiotics. I benefited from them 
tremendously in my life as someone with chronic UTIs and sinus infections. And they were a game changer. But also there were medicines before that that also work. But you can't have that comfort. Like one doesn't nullify the other. Isn't that wild? Yeah, it really is, especially when you, um, again, this could be a whole other podcast, you know. Um, yeah, it, it is wild. And, you know, I think I really think right now something that's making me really happy is is people realizing this and yeah. and working to remember and work like working to bring back that knowledge for everybody, not just not in a way to replace what we have now no. or to or to. To, to supplement it for practicality's sake, but for our, but for the health of, you know, our whole being and our communities, like, you know. Right now, the tea that I've been drinking is, it's all this herbal, you know, I got educated in herbalism. I'm doing herbalism, right? As an extension of the flower essence work. These herbs work. And by the way, like, I know that they work theoretically and then using it. And I was like, wait a minute. No, but it's really working. And it's always mind blowing. And it's like, yeah, they ancient people like this stuff. European herbalism is thousands of years old, thousands of years old. And it actually works. Now, do I put herbs in a gunshot wound? Like, no. Right. But it's crazy. Even and I just realized, too, reflecting on that, that tarot card, you know, Titania and that that healing that I'm going further back as I'm going deeper in my healing. I have to go to older traditions or maybe wisdoms and my friend Colleen made me an Ayurvedic, you know, Abhyanga oil. Have you ever seen yeah. those oil treatments? There's, those are I great love, love videos, like do. in the ears and on the scalp. And there's something so satisfying about watching an oil massage. But um, I've been using that instead of like lotion and it's grounding uh, Ayurvedic herbs on the skin. And I text her, I'm like, these are really working. And I'm going to, is it cool with you if I make some, not in Ayurvedic tradition, but in European herbalist tradition i'm going to send them to you for your thoughts and she's like absolutely you know and that's i don't that's what five thousand six thousand years old abianga oil and it's working it's wild just trying some of this shit that ancient uh, dead people are probably very stoked right now about my self-care regimen i probably have a group of them like nodding oh dude they love it but man if there's something if there is something that is ancient as fuck it is a woman taking some fat putting some plants up in it and yeah <laughs> for the betterment right. of, of themselves or the or the people around them that is ancient as fuck like and older. it works the way it is like it's funny because people you know will ask me about what i'm doing they're like well and have you considered this and that i'm like why if it ain't broke don't fix it like some things work so let's just like i i joke that a lot of what i do especially with the flower essences and now more of the herbalist like tinctures or oils is you get out of the way a little bit and not everything needs to be this cool marketing trick all the time like that is it's, it's enough of that people i think want shit that works i mean that oil shout out to colleen it works it's great it's called 10 roots i'm in love with it um, and who knew? I know I'm, I'm assuming my final crunchy form, by the way, I'm going to start smelling like patchouli and, you know, it, this is the B, this is how it happens. This is how the end starts. But, you know, um, yeah, it's a slippery, yeah, it's a, it's like a slippery oil, oily slope. It's literally a slippery slope. <laughs> um, in terms of like, cause you're, you're an archeologist. 
you're not here to sell a scented candle or talk about your coaching retreat, thank God, which by the way is one of the reasons why you're here. Um, so, but I do like to ask people if there's something that you wanted to to give as an action item to people to share that in, in what you mentioned before we started is tantalizing to me. So why don't you let everybody know, number one, if they can find you, where they can find you. I don't even know if that's possible. And then secondly, you know, what your your call to action might be, because you don't really, you can't sell what you dig up. That's highly illegal. It's so illegal um, yep. and unethical. I'd be put straight into the pokey. And y'all don't do it either. Um, please. P.S. Don't do that. Um, so, yeah, um, I, don't, I don't really do socials a whole lot. Like my Instagram account is basically like, you know, me post like reposting puppy memes to my own story because I <laughs> luck because it, it's my in my own con <laughs> for my consumption, right? Um, I have a couple of uh, I have a couple of you know open access articles. Uh, like they're very scientific and dry and like probably boring to the general population. You know what? Though we can link to them. Yeah, if you send them yeah. to me, I'll link to them. I'll read that shit. And yeah, but yeah, otherwise. Uh, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not really like a, I, I don't have a blog. Um, I just, you know, I'm over here doing me. I try to do my best to not, not stay tied to, to the interwebs. Um, yeah. As a, you mean as you're a, actually a, doing stuff instead of posting about doing stuff? No, I mean, like I'm actively trying not to be on it. I'm still oh, like, God bless you. puppy yeah. memes and shit. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a human in the world, just like the rest of you, but I try to watch it. So <laughs> I do my best, but you know, like one thing um, that I've really been thinking about as, you know, like as the trees around me are like losing their leaves and so am I, um, you know, I've been thinking about death and the earth and um, we're all going to go back to it one day. So we might as well uh, be really nice to it. Like come back into a yeah. good relationship with the earth and, um, and it's something that is so easy. You don't have, you know, we don't have to give money to an organization to do it for us. We don't, we don't have to, um, we don't have to worry about finding a way to, you know, boat ourselves out to plastic islands and figure out what to do with those things. We can start yeah. with just what's around us in our everyday, which is like um, one thing that, that I, I used, you know, I used to be really good about doing, um, and, and something that I want to start getting back to is just like um, when I'm outside or like when I'm taking the dog on a walk, bringing an extra bag. And if I find trash on the street, yeah. that got dumped out on trash day, because sometimes people are really fucking bad about bagging their trash. Just like pick it up. And it doesn't even have to be like all the trash. <laughs> just like yeah. a couple pieces will do you. Uh, you know, and just doing like little things like this in our lane like we can stay in our lane and make it better and and it counts you know like yeah like i said earlier leah like are there bigger problems that we need to be a community to fix hell yeah absolutely yeah yeah. but it doesn't mean that we can't you know start doing good for the earth and and for ourselves um you know it's interesting too what is good for us tends to be good for the earth like the garden you know that i plant every year And we maintain because it's a habitat for animals now. So I can't exactly let it go dead. I'm out there watering it. I'm not doing anything with it. It's kind of funny, but it's very organic, which means you lose some crops and things don't yield as high. 
but also I'm not poisoning myself or the people who buy the flower essences. And that's why it's a habitat. Like, so what's good for the earth and good for animals is good for us. They're, the more you think of it that way, like, well, what would be good for me? You're already doing good things for the environment. Like, what's good for me? And I'm I'm working on this, getting away from plastic altogether, because they lie to you about recycling. It's a lie. This yeah, is not a conspiracy a theory. It's a real conspiracy. They ship it to China and other countries, and it poisons their land as though that's a separate earth from ours. But using using reusables whenever you can, it's good for you because you're not getting endocrine disrupting phthalates, microplastics. Like you're not poisoning yourself, and therefore you're also not going to be poisoning the earth as much. You're putting some shit in a reusable container to drink, stuff like that. It's not that deep. Yeah, and I think um, our disconnection from the earth is our same disconnection from death and the inevitability of it. And you can only run away from this reality so long. And then it comes to collect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, and, and in remembering and in like honoring the earth around us, um, it, you know, like, like remembering death, it weirdly comes full circle because then you're also faced with, well, what, what am I leaving behind when I'm yeah. gone? You know, so it's, it's not just like remembering in, in a way you're also, you're also looking to the future, you know, it, that like I can't horrorosness of it all. But uh, Death and I are we're good friends. It's it's this shit in the middle when you're alive that causes all the problems. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, death energy is so soothing. Well, Angela, thank you so much. Happy early Halloween, by the way. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for for joining me as I'm fighting to stay alive despite my own uh, jokes to the contrary. <laughs> With my, who knows what what poisons are coming to the surface in my detox, and thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was such a pleasure, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me.